did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our tradition, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with an M Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at let's talk at gmail.com. And of course, I will answer as many as I can. You know, I don't know if you've stepped outside. The weather finally is gorgeous. We are in the mid-80s. I know it's a little hot for some people, but it's just so good to get out in the sun and the warmth, and it's beautiful. So if you're out and about and listening to the show, that's a great idea. If you need to uh, just be out and about listening to the show at night when you're going to sleep, that works just as well. In any case, um, this week's Torah portion, um, it. Most of it really is talking about laws, rules, and regulations for the Kohanim, for the priests. But the second half of the Torah portion actually goes through the holidays. We actually read this Torah portion um, during the holiday season. We'll read on Passover, read on the Sukkot holiday. So it goes through the holidays, and I want to go through it because there's a few interesting things that come up, some things that seem out of place. So um, now's a good week to talk about it. So it starts with Passover. Which, by the way, Passover has a calendar date. Most holidays, which is one of the things you see um, in this Torah portion, most holidays have a calendar date. Passover is the 15th, the middle of the month of Nisan. Um, it mentions we have a mitzvah matzah. And then it gets to the Omer sacrifice. The Omer sacrifice, Omer is a, is a measure of, in this case, barley. They would go to a field, a barley field near Jerusalem, so you don't like Passover. <laughs> I didn't mean that way. So you shouldn't go past um, one field to another field. You're supposed to go to the closest field if the barley is high quality. And interesting enough, um, the neighboring villages would all come for the ceremony when they cut the barley. So it happens like this. You have the first day of Passover. Then when the first day of Passover is over, that evening... They're going to go to a field. Generally, they'll have three men that will do the harvest. And every step of the way, um, they, they would ask questions of what they're doing. They would ask the question three times. And there would just be a lot of noise and ruckus, and we'll see why in a second. Um, so what happens is the each, whoever the harvester is, would lift up his sickle and say, is this a sickle? And everyone said, yes. And they say, is this a sickle? And everybody said, yes. And is this a sickle? Everybody said, yes. And am I cutting barley? Yes. Should I cut barley? Yes. And, and they cut the barley, and I'm cutting it, and I'm bundling it. And every step along the way, they wanted to make a big production. A lot of noise, and everybody gets involved. Why do they do this? First of all, it's a mitzvah. Fine. You want to make a big deal about the mitzvah you're doing? Beautiful. But there was a problem in those days with the tzedukim. The tzedukim were a group of people that uh, it was like a following. They were unhappy with the rabbis. They were unhappy with the oral law. They didn't want to follow the rabbis. They said, we don't need no oral law. We don't need no rabbis. 
we could figure out everything the Torah wants on our own. We don't need your help. We're going to take very literal, everything is literal. And that has a problem because there's a lot of stuff in the Torah that there's no details. So what are you supposed to do with literal? Yeah, you have to keep the Sabbath. Yeah, but there's no details in the Torah, very few at least. You're going to keep Passover. Yeah, but what does that mean? So, um, but in any case, there's a problematic verse. The verse here says, the day after Shabbos, you're going to cut the barley. Now, the problem is, which Shabbos? doesn't say. So how are you supposed to know? Now, the problem is, whichever, day you, whichever Shabbos you pick, you're counting now 49 days to the Shavuot holiday. Shavuot holiday is not a calendar. There's no calendar date for the Shavuot holiday. So the rabbis in the oral law said, the day after Sabbath means the day after the first day of Passover. Very good. So every year we know exactly when we're harvesting that barley sacrifice, and then we're going to count from there 49 days, and day number 50 is the short holiday. But if you don't want to listen to the rabbis and you want to make up your own rules and regulations, well, now you're saying the day after Shabbos. So I, I assume what they did was the first Sunday after Passover. Okay. But now that means their short holiday, a boy raised hand in class today and said, well, this year would have worked out. I said, great. But most years, or many years, it won't work out. So the rabbis wanted to make it very clear that we are not doing like the tzedukim. Therefore, they made a whole, a whole hullabaloo, if you like. They made a, made, they on purpose wanted everybody coming and gathering to make a lot of noise, to talk. Um, and interesting, you could even harvest the barley on the Sabbath. In other words, if the second day of Passover were to be Sabbath, they still had to do the cutting, even though harvesting is forbidden on Sabbath. But they would say, oh, it's today's Sabbath, it's today's Sabbath, and yes, yes. To show we're not doing like the tzedukim. Fine. So now, that's the Omer sacrifice. That in the last show we talked about, a little bit about the counting. Um, here the Torah gets more into it. And there's a, a interesting, is a positive command. There is a mitzvah to count. I have to count. Now, it's not clear how I'm supposed to count because I count days and weeks. So what does days and weeks mean? So we actually count both. So, for example, day one, you say today is day one of the Omer, today is day two of the Omer, today is day three of the Omer, today is day four of the Omer. Um, that's the first week. There's nothing else to say. Once you get into a week, so you start saying today is day nine, which is one week in two days. So, for example, today in the Omer happens to be day 26, so we'll say today is the 26th day of the Omer, which is three weeks and five days. Happens to be this year is easy to remember because the when I say it's three weeks and five days, Thursday is the fifth day of the week. So Friday will be day will be and six days. And on Shabbos it'll just be an even number of weeks. So moving up to week number four, we're just about completed. So that's the Omer sacrifice. And again, Shua says no calendar day. So we counted 49 days after the sacrifice. And, and then we get to the holiday of Shavuot. Um, before we get to Shavuot, just to back up, the purpose of this sacrifice is the, uh, there's something called new wheat, or new grain, or chadash. There's yashan, there's old grain. 
and there's chadash, there's new grain. Most of you wouldn't even know this. In Israel, um, the new grain is not kosher until it becomes old. What makes grain old? Once, uh, I want to keep it simple, but might as well get it right. Any grain that takes root after Passover may not be, or grain, I'm sorry, I keep saying wheat. Any grain that is that it takes root after the second day of Passover, you cannot eat from that grain until the following Passover when this sacrifice is brought. Now, we don't have a, a temple nowadays, so therefore the day itself, the second day of Passover itself, will permit what we call the new wheat. As soon as that second day of Passover comes, all the wheat that's been harvested or at least has taken root and is growing, that's called old wheat, and I can eat that wheat and no problem. But before it's brought, that's called new wheat. You're not allowed to eat it. In Israel, that it's, I mean, you wouldn't even know, but it's not kosher. As when a rabbi says the food in Israel is kosher, that wheat must be from the old crop. It can't be from the new crop. Okay, so they store it. No big deal. Um, the question is outside the land of Israel. Most people would hold that you even outside of Israel, this law applies. Um, there are rabbis, and many people have that custom. Uh, there are rabbis that explain that outside the land of Israel, for m- not just one reason, but for like a combination of multiple reasons, uh, you're allowed to eat what's called new grain. Or at least you don't have to um, investigate to see if it's new or old grain. But many people now, it became easier to investigate. Um, so many people are into the investigations. It's going to be interesting this year because what's going on in Ukraine, like you never know how the world, things happening in the world affect. Because Ukraine is at war and there's going to be a major, I mean, there's a lot of wheat that comes from the Ukraine. That wheat's not going to be coming anywhere. It's not going to get shipped. It's not going to get harvested. It probably was destroyed. So that's going to cause... Um, a, a, um, it's not going to be enough wheat, certainly coming from Ukraine. So wheat supplies will be used faster. Since wheat supplies will be used faster, you're going to end up, many people are going to have a situation where they, they, they're going to have a hard time getting hold of old wheat. Okay, that's for most of us, we're not going to even notice, but it's just an interesting um, concept. Okay, then we get to the Shavuot holiday. So, Shavuot holiday is beautiful. All holidays are be- beautiful. Uh, what's interesting about the Shavuot holiday is there is no command associated with the Shavuot holiday, right? Passover, we have matzah. Shav- um, Sukkot, you have, your, you have your hut, you have your sukkah, you have your lulav and etrog, uh, Rosh Hashanah, you have a shofar, a Yom Kippur, you're praying all day, you're fasting. But the Shavuot holiday, there's nothing connected to it, which is why I love it. It's just me and God, and family, and friends, and eating, and relaxing. It's just a beautiful holiday that I'm not, that's really the whole point. I'm not focused on, okay, I must make sure I eat my matzah properly. I must make sure that my matzah was baked properly. I must make sure my etrog is beautiful. Or I must make sure that my hut is built properly and the walls are not collapsing and the porch or the deck that I built last year is finished before the holiday. And as there's nothing else that I'm, can, uh, I'm, I'm involved in except the fact that it's a holiday. Yes, there's a very famous custom 
that many people do. They stay up the first night of Shavuot and they study all night long. It's beautiful. But I'm not involved in that. I just do that. But it's not something that I'm worried about for weeks in advance getting ready for the holiday. So we study all night long. So you're tired. So you sleep the next afternoon. No big deal. It's just a holiday. It's just enjoy the holiday with God. That's it. Okay. Now here's what becomes fascinating. All the Torah is going through holidays, right? The Passover. Okay, we have to talk about the Omer sacrifice so we know where, when Shavuot will fall out on. And now I get interrupted. I get interrupted with a mitzvah that applies to the farmer. Those mitzvahs are called Leket, Shikha, and Peya. Literally, Leket is gatherings, Shikha is forgetting, and Peya is cornering. What are these three commands? That when the farmer is harvesting his field, so what happens is, in the old days, right, you ever see pictures, right, the the harvester will grab a bunch of grain, he will cut it with his sickle, he will tie it, a, tie a, a rope around it or a, a string, and he'll take a step forward, cut again, tie it up, cut again, tie it up. So you got, you got like rows of bundles. Now when you cut the, the wheat, when you cut it, it's part of the beauty of how God made the world. Right? While it's growing, they're green stalks. They're wet. If you step on them, they'll fall, fall like grass, fall down, bounce back up. But when they ripen, they, the stalks turn brown because they dry up. So when you're ready to cut them, they're brittle. So when you're going to give a cut, it's almost impossible that some of the stalks don't fall. So the rule is, leket means that if one, if per cut, if one or two stalks fall, you leave that for the poor people. And it was, by the way, very normal that poor people would be like, they're, they'd be right under the feet of the harvesters collecting this, these stalks. Right? This was food for them. So this is almost like a tax, but without an amount. This is a tax that the farmer had to give the poor people. Shikha means forgetting. So when I've, when I've tied up, I've bundled up all my bundles of grain in the field, so now you got to get all this grain to the what we call a threshing floor, right? You got to gather all these stalks. You're gonna bring them, pile them up somewhere in the field. You're then gonna have the animals walk on it or pull stones over it because we got to break off the stalk from the kernel. Right nowadays we have these combines like vacuum cleaners. Just they just gobble up the field and they separate the kernels from the chaff and from the stalks. But in those days you did it by hand. When you're bringing all these bundles to the middle of the field, it's normal that once in a while you're going to forget a whole bundle behind you. Any bundle that you forget has to be left for the poor person. That's the second type of forced um, charity that we're giving to the poor people. And the third is this thing called paya. That is, I'm going to leave a corner of my field, and the rabbis talk about the percentage of what that should be, uh, 40th, or 50th, or 60th, you sort of rope off a corner, the farmer doesn't even harvest it. That, the poor people come with their own knives and sickles, and they cut it, and whatever they get, they get to take home. So, the Torah is demanding from the farmer that he go ahead and make sure that that the, the poor people are being supplied. This uh, plays, importantly, into the story of Ruth, which uh, when we get closer to the short holiday, we'll have a show 
where we talk about the story of Ruth, but that we're not doing this week. So this, the, this law, these couple verses about the laws of Leket, Shekhan are in the middle of the laws of holidays. Like, what's it doing here? It's true that these commands will, will happen during the holiday season. That's true. But, but what's it doing here in the middle of the holidays? So Rashi happens to say that if you give to the poor people properly, so that's equal to building the temple and bringing sacrifices. So it comes out interesting. Right? We're talking about all these holidays. Holidays are is a time, it's a spiritual time where me and God hang out. Family and God hang out. We go to the temple. The the holiday is the opportunity for people who are busy working year round. That's like the Sabbath, right? It's a time where we can, you know, stand back, sit back, and say, "Okay, God, let's get a little spirituality inside of me." And and we're putting in the middle of this spirituality the idea of giving to the poor, of giving this leket, of giving the shikha, of giving this payah. And Rashi says it's equal, my charity is equal to building a temple and bringing a sacrifice. So what are we saying over here? When you give charity, or in this case you do these mitzvos of leket, shikha, and payah properly, when you do these mitzvos properly, you are taking the physical, right? You're giving charity. You're harvesting your field, but you're leaving over the poor. You're leaving a corner of the field over the poor. When you're harvesting the field and giving to the poor, that becomes spiritual. So your physical, we talk about this a lot, right? Your physical ends up becoming spiritual, and that's an amazing thought. That's really an amazing, amazing thought, right? That my physical, you see, even here by the Torah, uh, placing these laws in the middle of the sacrifices is to tell you, you want the holidays for spirituality, you should know, and it's important. Yes, the holidays are for your spiritual growth, but don't think that the only way a person can have spiritual growth is through the holidays, through the Sabbath, you need those also, don't get me wrong, you need those also, but the way that you will have spirituality is even on the physical stuff, even on your everyday regular stuff, that you can get spirituality from there also. And that's a most important fact. Okay. Continue with the holidays. So then we get Rosh Hashanah, and uh, by the way, there's no mention of Shofar, really. Maybe there's a hint. Um, there's Yom Kippur. Again, there's, these are calendar dates. So it's the first day of Tishrei and the 10th day of Tishrei and then the Sukkot holiday. Now, by the way, there is no mention in the Torah of the Simchat Torah holiday. Simchat Torah is not mentioned at all. The whole concept was later on after the Talmud was sealed, I'm going to guess uh, 1,200 years ago, 1,100 years ago, during the time of the Geonim, this holiday of Simchat Torah, of Simchat Torah was created. It was a holiday. It was a holiday, anyways. But the fact that we celebrate the Torah, we finish the reading of the Torah, that was created by those Gaonim. Uh, but it's not the, this, the dancing with the Torah and, or people's flags. All of that was added way later. But once we touch on Simcha's Torah, I saw a great story. I told it over this week in my class. A boy. Um, we have reading programs when they when they finish reading a certain amount. So we. 
the parents can send in some mash or send in some cake or um, and we make a party. And by the party, my job is to tell a story. So I told over the following story, a very beautiful story. Story is told with this Reb Yoinison. Reb Yoinison um, had been writing for many years, studying for many years, and he had a lot of his own personal thoughts on Torah. And he decided after a number of years he wanted to print his own book with his Torah thoughts. But you can't just print your own stuff. You, you, you want a great rabbi to write you what we call haskama. I think in English it's approbation. In other words, just uh, really the rule is we, we don't like any books printed without what, you know, what we call this haskama, a letter of recommendation almost. Um, it doesn't mean that the rabbi who's writing the letter agrees with everything you wrote. That's not the purpose of the letter. The actual purpose of the letter is to say that the person who's authoring this book is a good guy. He's a good person. He's a Talmudic scholar. Um, he's somebody who he's worth reading his stuff. Because we're not worried about the source of where these Torah thoughts are coming from. Okay. So anyway, Sir Bionison gave his manuscripts to the Rebbe of Nadrov. And the Rebbe went over them and looked at them, and he, he probably had some type of relationship, but not a big relationship, obviously. We'll see in the story. And he says to the Shabbat you know, I went through your manuscripts. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. You know, reading these manuscripts, I feel like you must come from a very special family. Such a person, the, the product that you are, you must be special. Your family must be special. Shabbat said, not really. I would like to tell the Rebbe where I come from and maybe why I deserve to write such a book. I grew up in Ramat Gan. We were, we were not religious at all. We were a very religious family. We didn't celebrate holidays. My father didn't do anything. My mother had a spark, but again, we really didn't do anything. And one Simchat Torah, I was a little boy, maybe nine eight, nine, and uh, my mother wanted to take me for the hakafot, for the dancing with the Torah. So we walked from my neighborhood, about a 20-minute walk. My father didn't come, just my mother. And uh, we go to the Vizhnitz, um synagogue, and we arrive right before the sixth hakafa. Now, in Vizhnitz, could be by many chassidim, it's called the children's hakafa. Why? What's so special? By this hakafa, all fathers will put a child on their shoulder, and for the next half hour, they will just dance and jump and sing with children on their shoulders. Uh, almost as if instead of carrying around a Torah scroll, scroll we're carrying around children because it shows that the, the Torah is being given over to our children. Our children are the next generation. That's where the Torah will continue from. It's a very beautiful, amazing hakafa. Now, you have to understand, um, all these children look very religious. White shirts, maybe big yarmulkes, maybe the long payas, black pants. You know, they, uh, they have flags, Torah scrolls, and here I am. No shoes, I'm wearing sandals, no socks, shorts, t-shirt, no yarmulke on my head. And uh, I'm standing there, I'm lost. Like, I don't know what's going on. And a man taps me on the shoulder. 
And he says, little boy, would you like to go on my shoulder? And I like, you know, what am I, eight years old, seven years old, nine years old? I said, of course. And he puts me up on his shoulder and he starts to dance with me. And for the next half hour, I'm in another world. I am so excited. I am so happy. I am so enthralled with what's going on in, in, in this synagogue. Actually, as a child, I said, you know what, Hashem? You know, I'm going to make sure that uh, I am going to study Torah. I got to find out what this is all about. And from that point on, I went to study Torah. And, uh, and now you see, I wrote this amazing book all from that one night. And I want you to know, I never met that angel again. He was an angel. I never saw him again. And imagine for a second, this angel, who I can't thank, he, was, he saw a boy who was lost. He obviously didn't have a son of his own to put on his shoulders. He put me on his shoulders. He danced with me. He didn't know who I was. But he took care of me in such a way I can never thank him. But guess what? When he passed away and he goes before God and they're weighing the scales, the, the, the heavenly court's going to say, oh, and you have to be rewarded for writing this great uh, Torah thought book, this book with all these great Torah thoughts. And the man's going to say, what are you talking about? I never wrote a book in my life. I, don't, I can't write Torah. No, no. You get credit for this whole book. That is just an amazing thought that for just being friendly, just being nice, just helping a child who did look a little different than everybody else's child, but just for being nice, putting this lost child on his shoulder, he, he changed the child's life. It's amazing. And it's something that we all need to think about. Anyways, as you can hear, the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all the wonderful sponsors. Listen to you. I can't do it without you. Thank you, everyone, production team. We have Andy in the back. I hope everyone has food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.